Welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast, where we talk to C-level leaders from across the payments landscape. We'll be discussing the products and services that impact the payment space today, as well as trends and predictions for the future of payments. We will also hear stories from our guests about their journeys to the top. In mid-December, we launched the Digital Interbank Network, something that Tacit is sponsoring. That's going to be a member bank-owned network that enables banks to, once they're enabled with our core technologies and our IP protocols, they can begin to send monies to different banks in the network that are AML, KYC compliant. So we're pretty excited about this. This is something that CEOs at banks told us they see as a big need in the marketplace. And one other thing I would add is we are blockchain, but we're a closed permission-based blockchain. We're not a public blockchain. Most banks prefer to sort of extend a network effect, if you would, from a closed permission-based perspective from regulatory considerations as they're exploiting this new technology capability. That was Ron Tataro, CEO of Tacit, and he is our special guest on this episode, episode 137 of the Leaders in Payments podcast, and I'm your host, Greg Myers. Before we jump into this episode, I wanted to reflect on the past for a minute. On this date, January 13th of 2020, I launched the Leaders in Payments podcast with an interview of Brian Gowdy, the CEO of Aurora Payments. I've learned a ton about the industry, about the leaders in our space, and about podcasting in general. Most of all, I wanted to thank you for listening to the show. I look forward to producing and interviewing many, many more over the next coming several, several years. So let's move on to episode 137. A Poughkeepsie, New York native with a self-proclaimed passion for understanding how all of the pieces work functionally, operationally, strategically, and globally, Tacit CEO Ron Tataro will be the first to tell you that he has learned more from his failures than from his successes. However, the successes have been abundant. Ron began his career working for several big industry players like American Express and AOL before being named the CEO of Tacit. Tacit enables the tokenization of U.S. dollars and deposits so that once a dollar is converted into a token on the blockchain, it can be sent instantaneously to another wallet that exists within the same system. According to Ron, it's similar to a Venmo-like transaction, only industrial grade for the B2B space. And in mid-December, the company launched the first and only member-owned blockchain network that will facilitate real-time bank-to-bank transfers from within the network. We've got a great episode ahead, so let's get started. Hi, Ron. Thank you for being here, and welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast. Thanks for having me, Greg. Absolutely. So let's dive right in. If you don't mind, tell our audience a little bit about yourself, maybe where you grew up, where you went to school, where you currently live. We'll dive into your career a little more later in the show, but maybe just a little bit about where you grew up and where you went to school, those types of things. Sure. I grew up in Poughkeepsie, New York, in the Hudson Valley. Great place to grow up. The son of a dentist, and it was a great place to sort of play sports and great education. I ended up going to undergrad at SUNY Albany, where I was a business major with a minor in English and economics and worked on a trading desk at Salmon Brothers for two years after my undergrad experience before heading off to Michigan Business School, which was a great experience with an unfortunate football loss on New Year's Day this past week. I wasn't going to bring that up, but since you did, sorry about that. 
I'm not a Georgia fan. I went to Auburn, so I am an <laughs> SEC fan. So good to see the SEC schools doing well. So, <laughs> sure. so sorry about the Michigan loss there. All right, well, let's jump in and talk about the company a little bit. Tell us what Tacit does. Yeah, so Tacit really is the first B2B blockchain payments business that was launched over three years ago in the world. And so it was just a fascinating early stage experience for a company or a bank by the name of Signature Bank that had the foresight to work with us, the predecessor company to Tacit, to build out this first beta project, if you would, or product. And since then, it's scaled substantially. And we have many other banks signed up or in the pipeline to use it. And as I think you're aware, blockchain in general and payments and digital assets is a pretty hot space right now with banks and other institutions getting involved in. So uh, it's an interesting asset to share thoughts with banks at this point in time. So your primary customer is banks? Yeah, our customers are any size banks, pretty much so I would say over a billion dollars in assets. And what we do is we tokenize US dollar deposits into our platform and our digital wallet so that once a dollar is converted into a token on the blockchain, that can be instantaneously sent to another wallet that exists within the system, so to speak. So it's, it almost has a very similar feel for uh, Venmo-like transactions, if you would, and how consumers use their iPhone or whatnot to make transactions online. But this is industrial strength grade for B2B transactions, where at this point we've processed uh, upwards to $300 billion of transactions overall. Okay. And do you sell through a direct sales force or a partnership channel or a little bit of both? We primarily sell directly, although we do have some channel partners that connect us to C-level and CEO-level executives. This is a top-of-the-shelf sale at a bank, if you would. And the reason being is it really is just not about selling them a blockchain technology, but it is all about how they're going to create go-to-market activities to promote this and create the kind of ecosystems to create the network effect that's going to make this most effective as a growth vehicle for their bank. And so to give you an idea of that, Signature Bank, as our first customer launched three years ago, we've processed over $300 billion of transactions with them since, and they have generated over $60 billion of new deposit growth because of them creating ecosystems where more customers are putting more deposits at their bank, and that has led, frankly, to them becoming an S&P 500 company. In turn, we've launched some other banks, and just even though they're in the early stage, they've seen substantial deposit growth because they've been very clever in creating ecosystems and connecting payers and payees who want to use this new novel real-time payments capability. Okay, and these B2B clients, do they all have to be clients of the one bank, or could they be clients of other banks in order to use this network? Yeah, that's a great question. So Tacit Pay is the platform we sell, and that consists of the platform and the wallet and the user experience, both from a, a UI and an API perspective, whereby each individual bank has the capability now to tokenize US dollars into that digital wallet that I alluded to. So our goal has been over the last year is to sign up 10, 20 plus banks as fast as we can for that capability. In mid-December, we launched the Digital Interbank Network, something that Tacit is sponsoring. 
that's going to be a member bank owned network that enables banks to, once they're enabled with our core technologies and our IP protocols, they can begin to send monies to different banks in the network that are AML KYC compliant. So we're pretty excited about this. This is something that CEOs at banks told us they see as a big need in the marketplace. And one other thing I would add is we are blockchain, but we're a closed permission-based blockchain. We're not a public blockchain. Most banks prefer to sort of extend a network effect, if you would, from a closed permission-based perspective from regulatory considerations as they're exploiting this new technology capability. Okay. Do you see the larger, like really large, you know, maybe top five banks, do they try to build this on their own or do they still look for solutions like you have? Yeah, that's a great question. I've had a chance to speak to over 100 banks in the last year, and it's been fascinating to hear the journey that they're on in upgrading their payments capabilities and knowing that it's become really table stakes for any banks to have a world-class payments capability if you want to attract and retain SMB and larger B2B size customers. So yes, When you look at large money center banks, they certainly have a proclivity to want to build it their own. They have access to, you know, they're well capitalized, they can hire lots of technologists, and they tend to want to build it themselves, right, for their own large-scale network that they already have in place. What we find interesting is a lot of the early adopters tend to be banks, community banks, regional banks, even super regional banks, who don't necessarily want to spend millions of dollars from an R&D perspective building one capability around B2B payments. And that's assuming they had a world-class blockchain development team like we do at Tacit and the rest of the capabilities we have in building this capability out over the last three years. So what we do offer is a turnkey very cost-effective way for any bank, but that's more attractive even to smaller banks that don't have all those resources I alluded to, to start them up in a very cost-effective, de-risked manner to start this journey. Okay. And what is the business model? Do you charge transaction fees or is it more like a SaaS model? How do you charge customers? Yes, it's a combination. So, We run on Google Cloud infrastructure. In fact, in October, we won the uh, Google Cloud Innovation Award. We are thrilled to get that recognition from our partners at Google, given the innovation that we're doing in the industry. So yes, we do charge fixed monthly fees, but over time, as the business scales, we participate in transaction fees and some other forms of variable fees as the business grows. So we have a very easy starting point for customers to get involved on a monthly basis that's fixed. They understand their economic exposure to us. And by all means, the pipeline that we've delivered and the banks that we're launching and rolling out, they seem quite intrigued with how we're starting this process with them. Okay. And you mentioned earlier that your sweet spot is maybe a billion dollars and above in assets. Is there a reason for that number? Just the smaller ones, just it doesn't make economic sense or or sort of what's the reasoning there? Well, look, there's three, 400 banks between a billion and call it the, the top 10, 15 money center banks, you know, order of magnitude. Those are banks that are large enough that want to compete. We do talk to banks and are doing deals with banks that are sub 1 billion. 
but those have to be very innovative banks that want to sort of explore and pioneer how they're going to go into different spaces. And we applaud that because I think a lot of the winners in the future are going to be banks that don't have much of a name today, but they're really creating themselves as technology first banks that's going to enable them to leapfrog a lot of traditional banks, call it in that community, larger community or regional level that perhaps aren't as adept as some smaller banks and creating interesting ecosystems to attract customers and, and market segments to them. Sure, sure. So are U.S.-based only? Right now, that's true. We're U.S.-based only in the sense that we're selling our technology to U.S. banks. And the reason being is we've spent the last three years with our banking partners meticulously working with the regulators to make sure that they're comfortable with everything that we're doing since it's so novel. Our technology is portable to any country. And in fact, within U.S. banks, we have many, many international customers that are doing billions of dollars of transactions, but within the U.S. banking infrastructure and regulatory environment. So over time, we will be extending our franchise certainly to global banks. Okay. What would you say differentiates your company and solution from maybe some of the competitors out there? Yeah, it's really fascinating. This is so novel and new. And again, it's not too often that you have a chance. And I've been with the company for a little over a year now. When again, basically we started as almost an IT shop to Signature Bank. And now we're scaling to be a full-fledged fintech to the banking community at large. But what differentiates us from our competitors, I would say, is we do have a turnkey platform and digital wallet that can easily be deployed. And again, this is millions of dollars of R&D monies and battle-tested processing north of $300 billion of transactions. So like a lot of fintech innovators, we're an open banking network that enables this capability. There's not really anyone else who does it at this point. There are some others that are attacking blockchain payments, but they're using either the open a public blockchain, if you would, which we don't do for regulatory concerns and consideration purposes. And frankly, they have different business models. Also, if you think of the explosion in stable coins, you know, at the end of the day, it's important to understand that we're tokenizing a dollar that lives in a DDA account and one for one, a token that we create is backed by a dollar of fiat that lives in the Federal Reserve System. And there's an accountability and transparency to that that regulators like. So that's very novel and new. And over time, I would say the final thing is we're in essence an infrastructure as a service provider. Every bank in the United States that wants to sort of be on a growth trajectory in the coming five years is going to have to adopt a new B2B payments technology set, likely blockchain. And so, again, we think that we're well positioned in being that enabler. We're not a bank ourselves. We're a fintech technology company. We don't want to compete with banks. And a lot of other folks that are trying to get into this space have bank charters or want bank charters, and they actually want to grow their own customer and deposit base, whereas we want to be an equal opportunist in arming all banks with our capabilities. Yeah. It's interesting. The B2B space is so big and there's so many people out there trying to help solve these problems. So I'm curious to hear your opinion and your thoughts on where you think that industry is headed, say, in the next two to three years. Yeah, it's fascinating. And just to see the difference, you know, when I started speaking to CEOs, call it last January, about literally this time a year ago, and where the market understanding is, 
you still have some bank CEOs that are embracing what I would call legacy solutions, which are never going to be as elegant a solution as blockchain. And they may confuse the fact that real-time payments are real-time payments. But at the end of the day, the blockchain enables you to program money and how money moves. And it's through this smart contract capability of blockchain that's going to enable a much more interesting way to move money, whether it's for escrow accounts, an escrow transaction, moving titles with a transaction, timing payments accordingly. Seen already some interesting use cases in freight and logistics, payroll, mortgage warehousing with blockchain payments, which frankly, legacy uh, rails can't do. So early adopters of this technology set are going to have a big leg up in how they compete going forward. So thinking a couple years out, I mean, you're talking about for some of these banks, like you said, that have these legacy systems, it's quite an undertaking from man hours to investment to switch to something new. I mean, do you think that realistically, is that more five, 10 years out? Or are you really playing to the early adopters in this first couple of years? I would say that we're playing to first early adopters. It's people that understand that technology is going to lead the way for obviously operational efficiencies, but how to attract and grow their customer base and deposit base. So it's those early adopters that see how billions and billions of dollars are going to be put on these new types of rails. And those early adopters want to begin to understand how to operationalize it and how to sell it into the marketplace. So in fact, they can get a leg up to much larger banks that aren't going to be as technology nimble. So that's sort of the path that most bank CEOs, whether you're a smaller billion dollar bank or a 30 or 50 billion dollar bank, you know, we've been fortunate enough to sign, for example, Western Alliance recently. We have Customers Bank that's also signed up. These are 50 and 20 billion dollar banks, respectively. And we're going to be announcing probably four or five other bank partnership within the next 30 days. So that range, again, from about a billion to a hundred billion in asset size. So it really is a diverse set of folks. The common ground, though, is that they want to grow and be more competitive than their competitors. Sure, absolutely. Well, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about you. Tell us about your journey to your role there as the CEO. You talked a little bit about your educational background and your first job out of college, but maybe you kind of walk us through your career and how you got to be there at Tacit. Yeah, look, it's been such a fun career with various steps forwards and half steps back. And I think for me, I started out my career post-business school at American Express and G Capital, where I had a chance to build, frankly, it's ironic, 30 years ago, I was launching corporate purchasing cards, which at the time was a very novel B2B new payments capability in the market. And I find myself doing it again, sort of later on in my career. But what was great at America Express and G Capital is that I had a chance to build platforms, launch an industry around corporate purchasing cards, and then play a role buying 30 banks and specialty finance companies for GE company overseas. And so I was able very early in my career to get very hands-on and and strategically think about businesses, how companies and banks operate, and then play a variety of roles operationalizing them. And it's from that that I leveraged those skill sets into really focusing on technology enablement, since that's where I saw the key differentiator of financial institutions was. And so I basically became a fintech executive. I ran a a large component of AOL at their heyday, geared all the services that 
were being offered to banks and finance companies at that point in time. I ran Fair Isaac's credit scoring business, which my task was to basically introduce new data sets and artificial intelligence and new ways to think about risk management, if you would. And I then became president and COO of ACI Worldwide, where I ran a large both enterprise software company as well as early stages of cloud enablement, if you would, from a payments processing perspective. And so I guess the common theme with a lot of my traditional backgrounds has been tech enablement in digital, data, and cloud. And in the last five years, I've basically spent more time working with private equity and venture capital type firms to drive innovation at a more rapid pace. Okay. And where did you come from prior to Tacit? Prior to Tacit, I was working as an interim executive preparing an Insight Venture Partners portfolio company to go public. Okay. What are some things you're passionate about? So maybe one thing that's business-related and one thing that's non-business-related. Yeah, it's a really good question. I think for me, for some reason, I've always had the yearning to want to understand how all the pieces work. And so I worked very hard in building out my career to do lots of different things functionally, operationally, and strategically, and as well globally. So I was very keen on building out a broad array of skill sets that would best suit me to drive innovation, whether I'm you know, running a company as CEO or whatnot. That was always the objective, but I've done it as a GM or a, a COO. But at the end of the day, it's the same story around a broad array of skill sets at big companies, small companies, companies that are going through uh, hyper growth, companies that frankly are stuck and need to be reinvented. And so it's that, I think, collective experience set that's given me the background to come into a brand new space like blockchain payments, where literally I'm leaning on 30 years of experience. I sort of laugh to myself sometimes how I'm using some of the things I learned as a, you know, a 25 year old America Express manager working on purchasing cards, right? Never did I think that I'd be sort of doing that at this point in my career. So that's been the key, I think. And having a willingness to take risks and get out of a comfort zone, because when you sort of are trying to get a lot of different experience sets, by definition, you're going into situations that you don't know a lot about. Sure, sure. Do you have a a passion outside of work? I know you mentioned uh, college football, so maybe that's one, but do you have a passion outside of work? (laughs) I do uh, enjoy everything Michigan, especially sharing that with my kids. I'm the father of 17-year-old twins, and it's fun to spend a lot of time on lacrosse sidelines and hockey rinks, although it can get cold at some times. And I also spend a lot of time with my daughter uh, as she's done, I think, every theater performance since sixth grade. So the twins will keep me pretty busy on the personal front. And other than that, I think a great mentor of mine who uh, was president of American Express said to me at the New Canaan Diner, where I live now about 15 years ago, and he said, the most important thing is to collect great people in your life whether that's professional or personally, and people who share the same passions and values and can support you on your unique journey. And, and I think a lot of folks have that wisdom, but I appreciate the way he articulated it. And so that's what I try to do as I stay connected professionally and personally with individuals. Great. I think that's a great segue into our last question. So when I started in payments, there was 
well, the word fintech didn't even exist. And they're really, you know, I kind of fell into the industry and, and haven't been able to get out of it since. But people today, they come out of college and they see fintech and payments as a hot, sexy industry to be in that's taken in tons of investment money. And obviously, with the squares and the stripes and some of the really cool companies to work for that are out there, people are really looking at payments or fintech to build a career. So I'm curious what your advice would be to someone coming out of college. What would you tell them to do if they wanted to go into fintech? What would you tell them to do to be successful? Yeah, I'm a little biased because when I graduated from Michigan Business School, to your point, there was no fintech. Every newly minted MBA went to work for a Fortune 100 company typically, or maybe a couple went to investment banking or McKinsey. I mean, I, I chose American Express. I think there's a couple things here. I think it is important for people younger in their career to try to get grounded at an institution that's known for beginning to groom talent. So many folks that, and I've built 50 organizations, and as I've gone through that process, I come across a lot of younger people who unfortunately at times have not gotten trained in an appropriate way or have worked in environments that promote what I think are the hallmarks of any great company, that's transparency, accountability, collaboration, teamwork, just to name a few. And so you need to work in a culture that you can learn from, that you can then carry forward, because that will be the foundation for future leadership skills that I think you have. And the other advice I would give to folks whether you desire to work at bigger companies or more entrepreneurial companies, I find working at much smaller companies now extraordinarily rewarding because it allows me to put all of my skill sets to work. And, and frankly, if you do it right, there's certainly more financial upside for you, perhaps working in a VC or private equity environment. But putting that aside, I think people need to push boundaries. I always felt the need to reinvent myself and take risks and these are things I teach my children, and I certainly teach people that I work in. It's taking controlled risks where you shouldn't be worried about failing. And when you do, it's okay because the learnings from that are going to be insurmountable. And you tend to learn, and it's the old adage, you tend to learn more from your failures versus your successes, which I found as true as well. So I know some of this sounds like motherhood and apple pie, but it really is, I think, the success to my career and how I've been able to consistently be able to build businesses, create the right cultures, and drive value for customers, employees, and investors. Great. Well, we've covered your career. We've covered the company, the industry as a whole. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we wrap up? Look, I applaud this podcast and Gleaning Insights. I appreciate the opportunity to share a little bit about my professional background and sort of my journey. And like I said, it's a fascinating time to be, whether you call it fintech or just technology in general, there's so many avenues and ways to participate in it. And I encourage everyone, so many businesses, regardless of industry, is going to be reliant on the predicates of payments and e-commerce and workflows and SaaS. These are all business models and things, whether you're an engineer or whether you're a marketing expert or whether you're a finance expert. I think these are wonderful places to build a portfolio of skills for a rewarding career. Yeah. One final question. What would be the best way for people to learn more about Tacit? Yeah, you can go to tacit.com. That's probably the best way to do it. We have some videos 
We have an array of press releases, and we'll be publishing more as we go into the first quarter, as we really start to ramp up our bank partnerships, but tacit.com, and you can certainly follow us on LinkedIn. Okay. Okay. Well, Ron, I appreciate your time. I know you're very busy. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Greg, thanks so much again. To all you listeners out there, I thank you for your time as well. And until the next story. Thank you for joining us this week on the Leaders in Payments podcast. Make sure you visit our website at leadersinpayments.com, where you can subscribe to the show and where you'll find our show notes. If you enjoyed listening, please share on your social channels as well. 